things struck me this week as I was studying uh, this text. Um, the first is that I think these 10 verses, uh, verses 12 through the end of the chapter, are really are some of the most robust, um, thorough, uh, content-packed verses in all of Paul's letters regarding specifically how Paul thinks about salvation, what actually God has accomplished, what was the human crisis, and what was God's response. If you, if you want to ask the question, how does Paul think about salvation of, of sinners in Jesus Christ, I think these 10 verses are some of the most robust and thorough verses. Uh, there's, there's so much content packed in here. The second thing that struck me as I was studying this is that uh, these core foundational Pauline doctrines, apostolic doctrines, gospel doctrines, are almost entirely unknown to American Christians. Um, the it, it, Paul's categories are not our categories, generally speaking. If you ask people today, um, what did God do? Well, he, he saved us. Jesus died for my sins. And, and if you said, what, what do you need to do? I need to invite Jesus into my heart. Those are, those are, those are true and general sorts of ways. But that's not, it's not how Paul uh, thinks. Paul, we think in, in really strongly individual, individualistic categories, you and Jesus. Paul thinks in broad corporate categories. And as we're going to see tonight, Paul roots the salvation story in the concept of federal headship. I'd like to ask, when's the last time uh, you had a conversation about federal headship around your, uh, your dinner table? I would suggest it's probably been a really long time, if ever, and uh, that's, that's really unfortunate because there is, uh, it is the foundation of Paul's understanding of what has actually happened in the gospel. What was the problem and what's the solution? And we uh, see that here in Romans uh, chapter 5. So let's give our attention, Romans 5, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, these are glorious truths and rich, rich doctrines. 
and they point us to Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that tonight, by your Holy Spirit, we would have the ability to understand these words and, and the ability to believe that they are true. And Lord, that tonight we would find ourselves drawn and our hearts warmed uh, by the, the wonderful thing that you've accomplished for us in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, bless us this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful. Uh, may we experience that power tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through the end of the chapter is really deserving of four or five sermons, probably at least. Uh, and so we're going to pack a lot in, so I'll uh, just ask you to sort of put your thinking cap on. But I'm going to break it down because I, I think we can catch the main themes. If we think, first of all, uh, first of all about what is the problem, what is the crisis, uh, what's the predicament, what's the problem... Uh, so we'll look at that first, and then, and then secondly, we're going to just answer, then what is the cure to the problem, and then uh, thirdly, the confidence that we can have uh, because of the cure. And so we're looking at um, the, uh, the topic of salvation, how people are saved, what is this about, and we're looking at the crisis and the cure and the confidence. Uh, the, the, the doctrines here are, are so important for understanding and, and uh, the Christian life and living the Christian life. Uh, we have a native tendency to want to think about our relationship with God in terms of uh, very individualistic terms and in moral terms. So that my relationship to God, how I'm doing with God day to day is, is so much rooted and based on how I'm doing. And if I'm having a good day, I feel like uh, my relationship with God is going well. If I have one of those awful days when, I, when um, I'm just at my worst, um, then I, I just I feel distant from God. And, and the truths of the gospel, maybe I'm not quite as confident about my relationship with the Lord. I was reading, uh, we're reading, um, in, we call it the Bob Inc. group, We've got some guys reading, just reading uh, some theology books together, and, and uh, we're reading John Newton's letters. I highly would recommend that to you. If you've never read John Newton, uh, his letters are just incredibly rich, pastoral, uh, applied theology. And he he just makes a passing statement in his letters that in, in uh, his, um, ever since he became a Christian, that he says, you know, I, I don't think there has been a 15-minute period of time in all these years where I have doubted my standing in grace. But he says, um, he, so he's confident of the category, that he's in grace, he stands in grace. But being there, then he says, but I, you know, I can confess that my conscience has been witness to thousands of just you know, stupidity and ignorance and willful disobedience. But, but, the, but the confidence and calmness that he experienced, knowing where he was even at his worst, I thought was unusual. Um, it's something that, um, just personally, I, I, I struggle with that. Uh, easily thinking that my relationship with God is doing this. So here we have in Romans chapter 5, I think a category that's incredibly helpful, and that is the category of, of, of federal headship. The, um, the crisis, if, you, if I would ask you to read these verses, now tell me, what's the problem with mankind? If I asked you before you read this, and I said, what's the problem with mankind? You would say the problem is sin. And if I ask you to say, well, what do you mean by that? You would say, well, people do things they shouldn't do. 
People murder and steal and, and lie and, and, uh, and, and lust. Uh, and, and then they don't do other things that they ought to do. I mean, the law of God uh, says how we are to obey God, and, and people, by nature, we don't do the law of God. We, we violate the law of God, and, and that's absolutely true. But it's not the whole truth, and it's not even the, the most fundamental truth. Six times in uh, these verses, Paul points to um, our root problem, not our, he says, this, not being our morals, um, abilities, or disabilities, uh, the things that we do and don't do. He points to Adam, our, our parent, that, that the most fundamental crisis of, of humanity isn't that we violate the law of Moses, but that we, are, we have the wrong parent. In fact, he, he specifically points this out in verses uh, 13 um, 12, 13, 14, notice he just says that sin was in the world before the law was given. And, and people um, died before the law was given, right? Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. The point he's making there is, is um, so before the law came, why did people die? Now, we could say, well, before the law came, uh, people were still sinning. Yes, that's true, but that's not what Paul says. The reason that they, they sin, that they die, is because death has entered the world through Adam, and they're linked to Adam. Notice, if you just have your Bible, how many times uh, he, he, goes, he goes to this. You see, the, uh, verse, look at verse uh, 12. So, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 15, he says, many died through one man's trespass. Verse 16, he says, the judgment following one trespass, Adam's, brought condemnation. Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 19, by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And so he's, he's pointing, I don't know how he could be more clear, the most fundamental problem is um, not, first of all, our sin, but our spiritual lineage. Now, I think we can understand this, maybe if you think about when you go to the doctor, uh, you have an appointment and you've you got some ailment, and you go, and the, and the first thing that happens, you go to the receptionist, you tell her that you know, you're, you're here, and she hands you a, sh- uh, a pad uh, with some paper on it, and you have to go and um, check off a whole bunch of questions. And so it'll start with questions about, have you ever had any surgeries? Do you have allergies? Um, do you, uh, you just kind of give us a, a, a history. Do you, do you drink? Do you smoke? So your medical history, that's what they want to know. And then it moves to a different section where they start asking about your parents' medical history. Uh, and, and maybe even your, your grandparents or aunts and uncles. Has anyone in your, in your um, uh, broader family had a heart condition? Well, why do, they, why do they want to know about mom and dad? Right? I, I'm the guy that needs a doctor. Well, because they know that uh, your medical reality is... Uh, is affected profoundly by your family tree. So if there's a history of heart disease in your family, they want to know about that. 
If there's a history of, of certain kinds of cancers that are genetically passed down, they're going to want to know about that. A, a doctor, you see, that, that isn't concerned if you say, well, just, you know, I'm having some uh, heart pains, and you should know that my dad and my grandpa and my great-grandpa, they, they all died of heart attack. And the doctor said, yeah, we, don't worry about that. <laughs> okay, I'm, I thought it might be relevant. <laughs> it's profoundly relevant. Right? The doctor who doesn't care about that doesn't understand the nature of the disease. And, and what is true then um, for our physical bodies is true spiritually. That we can't really understand fully the nature of our sin problem without, without thinking about our spiritual genetics, our spiritual lineage. And that's what's, what Paul is doing here. That the, the sin that we commit and the uh, the death that we experience, those are symptoms that prove the underlying problem. Our fundamental problem, Paul says here in Romans 5, our fundamental problem is that our spiritual family tree is shot full of spiritual cancer. All of it emanating from our father Adam. That the, 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 the great obstacle right, to your eternal destiny, your eternal blessedness, is that you were born under Adam. You were born in Adam. And so Paul is saying here, in a sense, what maybe a doctor might say um, to someone with a, with a family history of terrible heart disease. The, the doctor could say, your biggest problem isn't your eating habits or your failure to exercise. Those are certain, uh, certainly things we want to address. But your biggest problem is your genetic lineage. Medically speaking, you come from a terrible family. That's the crisis of the human race. We're all descended from Adam. We're all descended from Adam. And so regardless of, of race or class or age or gender... The problem is that we all have Adam as our federal head, the one who represents us. Now you might say, well, I didn't ask Adam to represent me. That's fine. Uh, and it's utterly irrelevant. God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden and made them the, the parents of the human race. And this idea of representation, you find it all throughout the Bible. You find it, right, Abraham. Why are, why are Abraham's descendants blessed? Because they belong to Abraham. How come David, the sons of David, are blessed by God? Well, for the sake of their father, David. And so you, you find this, this idea of representation throughout Scripture, and, it, and it's, it's exactly what Paul is appealing to here. And because, you see, we have Adam as our father, our federal head, we are made sinners. That's what Paul says. We're made sinners. Now, he doesn't mean by that we're made people who do wrong things. What he means by that is we, we, are, uh, we become part of the category called sinner. It, it's, our, it's our status before the law. That, that in Adam, we are on the wrong side of God's law by, by virtue of being born right, as, as a human person. We're under the sentence of condemnation. We're judged guilty in Adam for failure to obey God and justly condemned. And so, and so we're under the reign of death. Everyone is, of course. 
right? The human mortality rate remains at 100%. Everyone dies, even little babies. So why is that? I was reading an article just this week, a really um, touching article about a woman who uh, lost her husband suddenly. Uh, They were a Jewish couple. He was 47 years old and um, had a heart attack and was gone. And so she, she wrote an article just about, uh, in fact, I think she has a book coming out, but um, how absolutely devastating this was. But she just made this statement. Um, she said, death isn't a glitch in the human operating system. It's a permanent feature. That's, that's mostly right. Uh, we, we think of death as, um, as, as a glitch, uh, but, but it's, it's, it's a permanent feature. Everybody dies. Uh, where she's wrong, of course, is that she doesn't realize that there was a time when uh, death was not in the world. And she doesn't realize there is going to be a time when death is no more. But um, this is the problem. This is the predicament of the human race. This is, uh, so one of the ramifications of this, one of the implications of this, is that your situation relating to God is much more hopeless than you had imagined. Uh, People who talk about Christianity as though it were a set of principles or morals, a way of of helping you do better, live better, so that you can find favor with God, they don't understand uh, the problem. Because you see, even if you could live perfectly for the rest of your life, you're still a human, you're still Adam's Son, Adam's daughter, when people say, I'm, I'm sure you've heard people say that, when they try to deflect the, the seriousness of their sin by saying, well, I'm, I'm just human. Exactly. Exactly. You're human. You're Adam's daughter, Adam's son. And what you get from Adam, according to Paul, is sin, condemnation, judgment, death, Made sinners, category sinners, that's what you get from Adam. Everyone does. So you see, it brings a screeching halt to any attempt to try to save yourself by by what you do. Uh, Your personal morality has no impact whatsoever on your spiritual family and all the devastating things that come from it. Now some people are going to protest this. They're going to say, well, that's not fair. Why should I be punished for something that my uh, that, that Adam did, I, I, before you go there, I would just, I would just encourage you to, to look at the text and at least agree that that's what Paul is saying. Whether you like it or not, whether it seems right to you or not, it, it's a good first step is just to be clear that uh, this is precisely what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is teaching. And then if you, if you understand that, then you can begin to wrestle with, well, how, how is it fair? Well, there are some things. God says, my ways are, are, are not your ways. My, my, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us and to our children. But uh, another way of looking at it is, is to say, um, you, it, let's be consistent then. People who say, I should not be treated by God on the basis of what someone else did a long time ago. Well, if that's true, you see, then the gospel is going to be a real trouble for you because the gospel is God's promise to treat you on the basis of what someone else did a long time ago. So we just, you just want to be consistent. But I think, you see, it's, it's, it's very helpful to understand that this is the predicament. This is the problem. We were made sinners, put into the category of sinners because we are children of Adam. Because what it does, you see, that understanding highlights the wonder of the cure. 
The cure, Paul shows us, is, um, is, is Christ. Now, the second Adam, Christ set, here's Adam and, and, and all the problems that belong to Adam. And then along that, he sets, he sets Jesus Christ. And, and so in Adam, there's these wonderful uh, contrasts and comparison. In Adam, we receive trespass. You'll find trespass show up like four times in verses 15 through 17. But alongside trespass, we have free gift. And death follows trespass, and justification and life follow free gift. Look at verses 15 16. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by, that, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So you have a trespass, judgment, condemnation. You got free gift following many trespasses, and it brings justification. God's declaration of righteousness. It's a wonderful, wonderful way for Paul to say that. Following many trespasses, God says, innocent. How does that happen? Well, it happens through this free gift. This free gift abounds for many, verse 15. It brings justification, verse 16. It brings us under, uh, from, out from under the reign of death, and into the reign of life. Look at verse 17. If because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So the, the wonderful part of the cure is that we're taken out from under the reign of death and we are placed into the reign of of life and all of this through a free gift. Now, what's the free gift? This is pretty important to know. If the free gift does all of this, what's the free gift? Some of you might think forgiveness. Maybe you'd think salvation. Maybe you would even think justification, but that can't be because the free gift causes the justification. The free gift is the obedience of Christ imputed to sinners. Look at verse 18 and 19. Notice he, again, contrasts uh, trespass and free gift. And then he's going to say trespass and righteousness, an act of righteousness. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now, again, that's good news because, you see, just as um, we were made sinners not because primarily the things that we did or didn't do. This is not a statement about our moral condition in that sense, but our category, as we, our status before the law. Well, exactly the same when it comes to the gospel. So when Paul says the many will be made righteous, he's not talking here primarily about sanctification, about this process of becoming more like Christ. He's talking about status under the law. So, so what this means, you see, is, is, is I'm not saved um, just by the love of God. 
Praise God for his love. But I'm not even saved merely by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It was absolutely necessary. But what I'm, the foundation of, of my assurance, the free gift that God gave to me, is the obedience of Jesus Christ. God did not just give me a loving Jesus. He not only gave me a dying Savior, but he gave me a righteous Jesus. You see, what Jesus did on the cross, he did not find a, a side door or a back door uh, through the, uh, the condemnation and judgment of a law, a way of escape. He answered the law. He didn't find an escape hatch through the mercy of God. He walked right into the justice and judgment of God because as an obedient man, he could answer the law. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. So justice is satisfied on the cross. Justice is satisfied. So we don't appeal just to the sentiment of God that he loves me when the devil accuses us. We appeal to the rock of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That obedience of one that makes me no longer in the category of sinner, but puts me in the category of the righteous, the innocent. And so you have something to answer the devil when he accuses you. Go talk to Jesus. Go bring your problem to the law. The law has been satisfied. That's the free gift. And so Paul says, as by the one man's disobedience, the many are made sinners. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous as a transfer of categories. And our hopeless condition has been answered by God's wonderful gospel gift of righteousness in Jesus Christ. And so in exchange for Adam, my disobedient and fallen federal head, God gave me an obedient Savior to stand in my place and be my righteousness. And therefore my life and my eternal destiny and my relationship to God all flow from my relationship to Christ. That I am his and he is mine. So the confidence then that comes from that is it's just, it's just abounding. Because once you're in the category of Christ, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are becoming new. If you are in Christ, then you stand in grace. You are under the reign of grace. Verse 21, as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That, that means that God is always eternally for you. On your best days, on your worst days, when you're on the mountaintop of, of religious fervor and when you are in the pit of your sin, God's grace and favor are always toward you because it was never linked to your morality. It's always ours in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you're under the reign of grace. And not only are you under the reign of grace, but you're going to reign in life. We already are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, and we're going to reign with him. So the ruined sinner becomes a reigning saint. This, this language is met, meant to, to fill us with assurance. Where our sin abounds, what does grace do? It abounds all the more. 
You see, God has not just answered the problem in Adam. He's overwhelmed the problem with superabounding grace as he gives this free gift, the obedience of Jesus Christ imputed to sinners. Now, how do you get the gift? And who gets the gift? Uh, there are some who say everybody gets the gift. That Some, in fact, will point to this text and say, well, I think Rob Bell has done this, that uh, everyone, is, everyone is saved, we just let the, need to let them know about it. And the reason, one of the reasons I'll say that is in verse 18, notice the parallel, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, everybody dies in Adam. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So is Paul saying that just as everybody dies in Adam, Man for man, every single individual, person for person, in the same way everybody is going to live in Jesus Christ? Well, that, that can't be what he's saying because it would, it would contradict and violate right, everything else he says in the gospel. It would violate, it would violate uh, the whole New Testament and the Old as well. The, um, you see, Paul has always been saying that since we are justified by faith, that faith is essential. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's Romans chapter 10. The scripture says that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So how do we make sense of verse 18? Well, it's very easy, I think, to do. If you think about Paul's letter of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22 we have the sentence, the, the sentence, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Sounds very similar. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But the critical word there is the word in. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And the point Paul's simply making is that everybody in the category of Adam dies. Every single person in the category of Adam dies. And every single person in the category of Jesus lives. There's, no, there, there, there's nobody like halfway and we're sort of wondering which way this is going to go. Everybody in the category of Adam dies. Everybody in the category of Jesus Christ lives. From the greatest saint to the least saint. All shall be made alive. So the critical issue, of course, is are you in Christ? Am I in Christ? Because you're either, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And so how religious you are, how moral you are, your doctrinal positions and convictions, it's, it's interesting. But it doesn't alter your, your category. You're either in Adam, and if you're in Adam, then sin and death and judgment. See, this is when people say, but I'm a good person. I'm... I know you believe that you're a good person. You just need to understand you're a human person. And the Bible teaches that every human person born in Adam is born in sin, death, condemnation. And so the great need then is to be, is to be in Christ. And the wonder of, of this is that be, be, moving from, category, uh, Adam, from Adam's category to Christ's category, it's, it's a free gift. Right? God gives the faith to believe, and, and it is by faith that we're united to Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and we repent and turn to Christ and, and trust in him. And, and the Bible promises that if you do that, you are in this category. And I just want you to think, no, if that's true, 
Think about the assurance that that gives you. Think about the comfort that gives you. If, if you are in Christ, you are totally, thoroughly saved. You're not mostly saved, somewhat saved. If you're, if you're in Christ, you cannot be lost. You've moved from being a, a son of Adam to a, a, a son or daughter of Christ. You belong to the family. That's why family language is used in the New Testament, adoption language. And if you, if you belong to Christ, not Adam, that's going to affect the way you think about yourself in the world because you're going, to, you're going to realize that though we are in the world, we're not of the world. We're not in Adam anymore. That, that the, the, the glory of, of the gospel has, has, has altered us somehow, spiritually, genetically altered us. That, that we belong to Jesus Christ, we don't belong to the world, and so we, we, we live for different principles, different purposes. As we call people who are yet lost in Adam, come, come, drink, come, come to Christ. But see, we don't belong to this world. We don't belong to sin. I hope you, I hope you, you sense that deeply. And sin doesn't belong to you. You can say to your sin, even your worst besetting sin, listen, you don't... In, in some phenom- Paul can say it's no longer I but sin that lives in me. That we grieve it and we, re- we repent of it, but we know that every sin we commit is a forgiven sin and a defeated sin. And one day, it's going to be utterly, completely removed from us. Until then, it's meant to keep us clinging to Jesus Christ, keep us in the word, keep us humble, keep us in prayer, keep us delighting in him. If you are in Christ, it means that you live in the reign of grace. Grace is abounding to you. It means that you're in the reign of life, everlasting life. The most unbelievable, glorious things are in store for you. For you. Normal, simple, humble you. The world will never remember you 10 years after you're gone. But Jesus will remember you forever. And you will reign with him forever. If you are in Christ. And so folks, the question I just want to pose you again tonight. Are you in Jesus Christ? If you don't know if you're in Jesus Christ, do not delay. The, the danger, the cost of being living and dying in Adam is eternal. But the glory of living and dying in Jesus Christ is also eternal. Let's make sure. Just on your knees tonight, just talk to the Lord. Confess your sin. Cast yourself as Thomas this morning, my Lord and my God. And you can have the confidence, the assurance that you will be in him forever. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you for what you've done in Christ Jesus. I thank you that we are no longer the children of Adam. But we have been made children of the Most High God by faith, a faith that you gave as a gift to us. It's a precious faith. It's a precious faith. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking little of it. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking little of our salvation, taking for granted all that Christ has accomplished for us. Father, I pray that we would live with joy and confidence and peace even, Lord, in the face of our sin, even in the face of death, for you have rendered death 
a shadow. You've conquered it. We need not fear it. And Father, I thank you that one day, the full reality of what Christ accomplished on that day, 2,000 years ago, will be revealed to us. And so, Lord, keep us walking tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday this week. Keep us living by faith in Christ. Keep us delighting in him. I pray, Lord, that this truth, that we are, we are the children of God, would resonate with our spirit, would comfort us and calm us and purify us and give us endurance as we walk this road. Until we see our Savior, we pray it in his name. Amen. Let's close our services today with another Easter hymn. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hearts to heaven and voices raise. He who on the cross is Savior for the world's salvation bled. Jesus Christ, King of glory, now is risen from the dead. Let's stand and sing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the sweet Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forever. Amen. Amen.